thanks so much uh, for singing. It was great to sing some Christmas songs. It is Christmas season, and uh, we are heading into that time, and this really is going to be our last in-person worship service of 2020. Uh, next week, we're going to be online, and it's going to be our Christmas program, our traditional one, and then the one after that will also be online. So we won't meet again until January, weather permitting. Uh, but I really just want to say how much I appreciate everyone here just getting a chance to sing a Christmas carol. It's, uh, it's such an unusual year that I look for these little moments of normalcy, uh, and they mean a lot to me, and I, I hope they mean the same to you. I'm Joe Collins, and welcome to See Me Church. Our mission is to love God and neighbor one household at a time. We are a group of ordinary people who believe in the extraordinary message of Jesus Christ. So no matter who you are or what your story we're glad you're here. So today, I'm going to be ending our series, One-on-One -on -one with Jesus, for now. But that doesn't mean that there aren't more one-on-ones to talk about, nor does it mean that I won't revisit the series from time to time in the future. It just means that it feels right to me to end the series uh, right now, and hopefully, maybe in 2020 with it, right? I mean, I'm ready to put 2020 behind us. So last week, we looked at a one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and a Samaritan woman, and we learned that it doesn't matter what you look like or where you worship. What matters is that you worship. Today, I want to take a look at a one-on-one -on -one that I'm calling the last recorded one-on-one -on -one in Scripture between Jesus and a guy named Saul. As always, the goal is to learn something relevant to our faith and to our life today. So now I know some of you who maybe are more familiar with the Bible and with the scriptures, you might actually question me and ask, well, how are you coming to the conclusion that this one-on-one -on -one between Jesus and Saul is the last one-on-one? -on -one? Because after all, there was a guy named John who wrote Revelation, and he did have a one-on-one -on -one encounter with Jesus in the Revelation. Not only that, but a lot of people encountered Jesus after he died and resurrected and went to heaven. And I would say that you both have a point. Both those things are, 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 could be true. But in my defense, I want to point out that in Revelation, John clearly indicates that it was actually an angel who appeared to him and gave him the revelation, not necessarily Jesus. And that Jesus appeared to a lot of people post-resurrection and post-ascension, including Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, Salome, Joanna, Peter, the other apostles, the two disciples on the road to Emmaus, seven disciples on the Sea of Galilee, Jesus' brother James, and as many as 500 people at one time, not to mention Saul. And just because Saul's encounter is the only one of those post-resurrection appearances that takes place after his ascension, after he ascended back into heaven, doesn't necessarily mean it wasn't an in-person one-on-one with Jesus. So I'm comfortable saying that this is the last in-person one-on-one with Jesus that's recorded in Scripture. And so for all of you Bible scholars and haters out there, that's my, that's my story and I'm sticking to it. Turn with me to Acts chapter 9. We're going to start in verse 1. Before we do that, though, let's pray. 
Father, it is great to be together. I'm so blessed to be a part of such a great fellowship with so many people who love you and are staying faithful and true to you even through difficult times. And I pray, God, that you will reward all of our faith, that we will see better days in the, time, in the, year, in the weeks to come and in the months to come, and that, God, we will be able to return to a sense of normalcy and a time to connect again in real, true, physical, in-person fellowship. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. Meanwhile, Saul was still breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples. He went to the high priest and asked him for letters to the synagogues in Damascus, so that if he found any there who belonged to the way, whether men or women, he might take them as prisoners to Jerusalem. Now, it's difficult to uh, overestimate the influence of Paul. He's known worldwide as one of the greatest influencers in history, Christian influencers in history. He wrote most of the New Testament, and it's safe to say that he remains one of the most read Christian apologists, let alone authors, in all of history. But who was Paul before he became a Christian? Well, you might be surprised to find out that his name was actually Saul. The same Saul who we read about here in Acts chapter 9, verse 1, that says, uh, that describes him as breathing out murderous threats against the Lord's disciples, and who was on his way to Damascus for the express purpose of finding and arresting any of Jesus' followers, man or woman, who might be hiding out there. So what happened that turned Christian-hating Saul into Christ-loving Paul? Jesus happened. Now to date, I and many of you have taught a total of 28 lessons, including this one, over the last eight months in the one-on-one -on -one series, with Je the one-on-one -on -one with Jesus series. And we've learned a number of amazing things. Just a few. It's our job to obey and leave the miracles to God. Don't let your last mistake be your legacy. Before and after you fill yourself with anything else, fill yourself with God's word before and after. Church, is essential. Trust the story. Refresh others. Don't speak with twisted words. Interruptions aren't annoying, they're divine. Never give up on being grateful, and many, many others. But one of the most constant things in all of the one-on-one -on -one lessons that we've looked at for the past eight months is that while not everyone became a believer in Jesus, none of them were the same afterwards. And as we're going to see in a minute, this was especially true of Saul. But before I get to that, I'm going to ask for some audience participation. For you here, there's a number of you and we're spread out, so I need you to yell out. And for you at home, please write it in the chat. My wife will watch the chat and she'll, if you don't mind, come up and say whatever somebody may post in the chat. But what I'm going to ask you to do is I would like you to share about what happened to your life when Jesus happened in your life. What happened to your life when Jesus happened in your life? So I'm going to go first. And, and I want you to start with that sentence. I, so, so here's what happened to my life when Jesus happened in my life. I actually repented. I stopped being promiscuous, cursing, smoking, a number of other things. 
In short, I, I stopped living for myself and I began to live my life for Christ. Now, I'm not saying I was perfect. I'm not saying it was always a straight line. But I am saying that, tra that the trajectory of my life took a completely different, went, went, uh, went in a completely different direction. And I can say that in all confidence. That's what happened to me when Jesus, what happened to my life when Jesus happened in my life. Now for you, I would love to hear you. Doesn't have to be long or involved. You could be short like I was, but please shout out. Maybe where you are, raise your hand. Tell me what happened and start with that phrase. Here's what happened to me or to my life when Jesus happened in my life. And if you're at home, put it in the chat because we'd love to share it. Over here. So she shared that she got the best night of sleep in her entire life as a, result, as a result of Jesus entering in her life. She had so much peace, she got the best night of sleep ever. Yes. What happened, here's what happened to my life when Jesus happened in my life. So when, for, what, what Steve shared was that uh, Jesus, uh, he finally filled that hole in his life. When Jesus happened in his life, he finally found uh, that hole was filled that he was trying to, to stuff with other things. Someone else. Is there someone online, honey? Oh, come on up. She'll share it. Hey, good morning. Okay, so from at home, Dana Taylor said that her OCD completely dis disappeared. Wow. <laughs> Jeremy Hicks said... I found a deep sense of peace and the fog lifted. And Susan Augustinelli says, I learned to be a true friend. And then Stephanie Hicks said, when Jesus happened in my life, I went from bitter to better. Oh, wow. I stopped feeling bad about my shortcomings and weaknesses and started embracing them as wisdom that God so graciously gave me. There's a couple more there that we'll mention, but anyone else here? Katie, yes. Nice and loud. I'll repeat it for you at home. Here's what happened to my life when Jesus happened in my life. Katie shared that she has, <clears throat> she got friends in her life that uh, were, were good friends. They bettered her life. They were spiritual advisors, and she still has those friends even 20 years later in her life. Anyone else? Viviana. <clears throat>
So, so Vivi shared that she repented of her sin, and she went from being sad and depressed to fulfilled, and just a much better life experience. Anyone over here? One more, right here. Yeah, I started helping people. Wait, I say that again. I like that. I started helping people part of the time instead of just thinking about myself all the time. Thanks, Chris. Anyone else on from at home? We'll we'll wrap up here. Wrap oh. up with a couple more. Okay. okay, I'll give you a couple more from home, everybody. Um, <coughs> let's see here. Uh, Sarah Snow said, "I lost some friends, but I gained some family." Uh, Wendy Richardson says, um, what happened in my life when Jesus happened in my life was I truly understand what he did for me on the cross. And then Daniel, Shemazadeh, I learned to consider others over myself. And there's more, but I won't read them all today. Okay, you one can read last them later. one. Sam, one last one, right here. That's great. So Tim learned that God loves him, and then he was able to love other people and truly forgive them as well. I want to thank all of you for sharing, and I'm sure there's so much more. Every one of us, we could go on and on and on of all the things Jesus did in our life when he happened in our life. And I want to thank you at home for sharing as well. You know, it's incredible to think or to consider that even Jesus, even though Jesus is not here physically with us in person, he's still among us and he's still happening in our lives. He's still changing our lives. I want to continue reading Acts 9. We're going to start in verse 3. We're going to pick it up here in verse 3. As he neared Damascus on his journey, suddenly a light from heaven flashed around him. He fell to the ground and heard a voice say to him, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Who are you, Lord? Saul asked. I am Jesus who you're persecuting. He replied, now get up and go into the city and you'll be told what you must do. The men traveling with Saul stood there speechless. They heard the sound but did not see anyone. Saul got up from the ground, but when he opened his eyes, he could see nothing. So they led him by the hand into Damascus. For three days he was blind and did not eat or drink anything. So here we learn that Saul, as he neared Damascus, was struck down by a bright light, and he heard a voice from heaven say, Saul, Saul, why do you persecute me? Now realizing that this was a divine encounter, Saul asked, who are you, Lord? I was 19 years old the last time I ate a Tommy's chili cheeseburger. <laughs> and I still remember the terrible feeling it left in my stomach <laughs> to this day. <laughs> I'm not sure how Saul's stomach felt. When he heard these words, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. But I can't imagine that it was any better than the pain I had in my stomach after I made the terrible mistake of eating that cheeseburger. Because in that moment, Saul knew like I did that he had made a terrible mistake. You know, even though Saul thought he was serving God and doing all the right things, he quickly, all at once, discovered that he wasn't. At the end of the day, there are only two kinds of people in the world. 
those who are right with God and those who are not right with God. And the only difference between them is that one knows they're not and the other only thinks they are. The question is, who are you? Verse 7, the men traveling with Saul stood speechless. They heard the sound, but they did not see anyone. Now, I know that I said at the beginning that this was, I'm calling this the last recorded in-person one-on-one with Jesus in Scripture. And yet, I honestly, for the life of me, cannot explain why or how the people traveling with Saul didn't see Jesus, but Saul did. But, you know, that doesn't mean Jesus didn't appear in person. It doesn't mean he wasn't there. There are a lot of things in the Bible and in life, for that matter, that I can't explain. I can't explain how God created the heavens and the earth and everything else in six days, but he did. I can't explain how the floodwaters covered the highest mountains by more than 20 feet, but they did. And I can't explain why a Tommy's burger tastes so good, but it makes me feel so bad, but it does. I can't explain it. Here's the point. In Jesus' resurrected, in his ascended state, he can appear to anyone, anywhere, anytime, in any way he chooses. And the real question is that are you going to be humble enough to notice him when he does? Verse 10. In Damascus, there was a disciple named Ananias. The Lord called him in a vision, Ananias, Yes, Lord, he answered. The Lord told him, go to the house of Judas on Straight Street. Ask for a man from Tarsus named Saul, for he's praying. In a vision, he has seen a man named Ananias come and place his hands on him to restore his sight. Lord, Ananias answered, I have heard many reports about this man and all the harm he has done to your holy people in Jerusalem. And he has come here with authority from the chief priest to arrest all who call on your name. But the Lord said to Ananias, go, this man is my chosen instrument to proclaim my name to the Gentiles and their kings and to the people of Israel. I will show him how much he must suffer for my name. Now, before you jump in and say, hey, wait a second, isn't Ananias now having a one-on-one with Jesus? And this is kind of after Paul's, like, isn't he the official last one? I don't know, maybe, but let me just say in verse 10, it specifically says that the Lord called to him in a vision. Now, vision is not necessarily the same as something in person, but whether it was or wasn't, it doesn't really matter because if you haven't figured it out by now, I'm just joking about this whole one-on-one thing. I mean, it's just, it's just for fun. But what does matter is something that I want you to take away from Ananias' encounter with the Lord. So imagine for a minute, You're Ananias. You're going along, minding your own business. And all of a sudden, you hear a voice, the Lord, he speaks to you. And he tells you to go find Saul, the arrester and killer of Christians, and go and then heal him. So there's a TV show I've gotten into on Netflix called The Last Kingdom. I don't know if anybody's heard of it. It's a cool show. It's basically like Vikings that's on History Channel, but it's from the viewpoint of the English. And the main character, his name is Uhtred, and he's got the nickname the Dane Killer. 
Because Uhtred, when he was a young boy, was a Saxon. He was a, a Briton, an English person. He was kidnapped by the Danes, taken up there, taught to be a Viking warrior, came back as a Viking warrior, but ended up discovering that he was actually Saxon, and he switches sides, and he becomes a hero of the Saxon people, defending them from the Danes, and so they call him the Dane Killer. And it's just like this, this nickname. Every time they say it, the Dane Killer, ooh everybody, ooh, everybody fears him. You know, if Saul had a nickname, he would be the Christian Killer. And Ananias feared him. His stomach probably felt about like mine did when I eat a Tommy's burger. When God came to him and said, I want you to go find the Christian killer. And I want you to heal him. Ananias tries to object. In verse 13, he says, Lord, I have heard many reports about this man. But God said, go and do it anyway. Have you ever wondered why God chose to blind Saul? I mean, was it to teach him humility, faith, repentance? Yes, it sh I'm sure it was, and probably a whole bunch of other things as well. I mean, God blinded Saul for a reason. But I don't think he blinded Saul only for Saul. I think God blinded Saul to teach Ananias and us something as well. That even someone like Saul, the Christian killer, can change. Let me ask you a question. Who are the Sauls that God has placed in your life? Do you know their names? Have you written them down? Are you praying for them? Are you investing in them? Are you inviting them to the church? Are you preparing yourself to be like Jesus to them or like Ananias and help them to see again? It's our purpose as Christians to go to the Christian killers and to help them discover their own blindness. Have you been actively involved? in those people's lives. I don't know if you've met Chris, but he's our newest and greatest member of Simi Church. Recently, I found out that, that, that in, in Chris's past, he had a serious addiction to drugs and alcohol, which if you met him, you would never have imagined. He shared with me that his first encounter with Jesus came because he started reading a self-help book that had some Bible quotes in it. And so he decided, I'll start reading the Bible. So he started reading the Bible, and then he started praying to God and asking God for answers. And this was all the while while he was still practicing Zen Buddhism, and he was attending a self-realization fellowship. Then God just happened to put Chris in the oikos of a disciple from India named Rana, who helped finish the job of leading Chris to Christ. You see, whether you know it or not, God has supernaturally and strategically placed people in our lives. We call it our oikos, the people we do life with, that he has purposely blinded, but not only for their sake, but for yours, because he wants you to be the one to lead them to faith.
I said many years ago when we started this whole Oikos concept, this whole idea that we each have a world of people that God has called us to go into and make into disciples. It's our world. Each one of us has a world of people. I said we were not going to stop talking about this, that there wasn't going to be another plan after this, that it wasn't going to change, and I haven't. We have not stopped talking about this for two or three years now, and we're not going to stop talking about it. Because I believe wholeheartedly that it is God's will for us to convert the Dane killers, the Christian killers, the sinners that are out there. He's put them in your life for a reason. Write their name down. Pray, invest, invite, prepare yourself to be Jesus or at least Ananias to them and help them see again. I'm going to close by reading Saul's own account of the interaction he had with Jesus. And I want you to pay particular attention to the impact that he said it had on his life. Now, brothers and sisters, I'm in Acts chapter 9. Verses 1 through 11. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you when I received, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. I think I quoted the wrong scripture, but I think it's in Corinthians. Sorry. Let me start over. It's not Acts. We left Acts. I think we're in Corinthians now. Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you received and on which you have taken your stand. By this gospel, you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preached to you. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. For what I have received, I passed on to you as of first importance, that Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures, that he was buried, that he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures, and that he appeared to Cephas and then to the twelve, and after that he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Then he appeared to James, then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles and do not even deserve to be called an apostle because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me, whether then it is I or they, this is what we preach and this is what you believe. So what happened that turned Christian-hating Saul into Christ-loving Paul? Jesus happened. Verse 10, he says, By the grace of God, I am what I am, and his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them, yet I, not I, but the grace of God that was with me. You know, after Saul's one-on-one -on -one with Jesus, he was never the same. So here's what I want to leave you with today. Whether Jesus appears in person or not, he is still happening. And the lives of those of who are humble enough to see him are still changing. So let's be the kind of people who will help God make that happen.
Father, I want to thank you for such an amazing story and series of one-on-ones that we've looked at. It's been such a blessing to be inspired by the incredible lessons in each and every one of them that, that have taught us. And I pray, God, that today as we end out the series for now and we end out the year, thank God, I pray that we take to heart the message of the one-on-ones, that, that you're still at work. You're always at work. You're still appearing to people. And you've given us the job to help people see that, to heal them of their blindness and to let you do the work in their life to bring about the change that they so desperately want and need. Father, I just thank you for this great group of people that are here today and that are at home. Help us to, in this year, thinking about who we can go to, who we can help unblind the eyes of. And God, I pray that you bless us with much fruit as a result. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen. So at this time, we're going to take communion. We're going to pray for the weekly offering. All you need is some matzah and some grape juice. At Simi Church, we believe the Bible is the best source of truth in our world today. In it, we learn that Jesus is Lord, that he lived a sinless life, that he died on the cross and rose to life again. And it's in this belief that we do everything. We are a member-supported fellowship by people like me. You can give today by texting keyword Simi Church to 77977, or you can give online at simi.church. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to have a time of quiet reflection and allow you to eat the bread, drink the cup in remembrance of Jesus, and to meditate on his life, death, burial, and resurrection. Let's pray. God, I do ask for your spirit to be with us now as we commune with you. Thank you for this opportunity to remember you and the death of your son, Jesus, on the cross and his resurrection and the life that it affords every one of us. And I pray at this time that we will each renew our covenant with him as we reflect on the past week and on the days ahead. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.
right. If you did not take communion, please make sure you do so later today. We want Simi Church to be your church, your family's church, and your friend's church. If you want to know more, ask the person who told you about us or contact us directly at our website, simi.church. And don't forget to tell people to like us on our social media outlets. Finally, I want to remind all the members of Simi Church to pray for, invest in, invite the church, and prepare yourself to be Jesus to the people in your lives. So uh, we're going to close out here. My wife is going to make a quick announcement, then I have a couple of closing announcements, and then we'll be done. All right. So um, our youth ministry and high school ministry collaborated with the Church of Christ next door to do an ornament making contest. It was their idea, and they invited us to join. So we actually have some ornaments that the kids made up here. They asked that everyone take a quick look, and you get to vote for your favorite one because there are prizes for them. So if you don't mind after church, take a few minutes, go up to the table, and vote on what your favorite ornament is. So I said at the beginning, this is our last worship of 2020. And the last two services are going to be online only. Next week is going to be our annual Christmas service. The following week, we're going to close out the year by hearing from our intern, Aaron Henderson, and he'll be preaching the final message of 2020. So please do me a favor. I sent out an email yesterday, uh, and it has some instructions about singing Old Lang Syne. As many of you know, our tradition at Simi Church is to sing that song at the close of the last message of the, of the last service of the year. And since we're going to be online, we're not going to be able to sing it together. And I wanted to try to recreate that experience. And so I uh, set up an account with something called Tribute. The idea is um, you just click on the button, the link in the email. There's a button. Click on the button, and you record yourself singing the song. Now, here's some instruction that I gave in the email. I gave you the lyrics, so please use the lyrics. Don't change them. Just sing the lyrics as they are in the order that they are. And then I also gave you a MP3 recording of our dear friend Peter Wade singing the song so that you can have an idea of the tempo of the song. My suggestion is that when, is, is when you click the button to record, play Peter's song quietly and sing along to it on the same tempo. Don't worry about how you sound. It's going to be a big collage. It's going to be a lot of voices mixed together, so no one's going to stand out in particular. But I want to ask you to do this as a church so that we can at least sort of year, close the year out, even though we're online, singing all the same song together. I have no idea how it's going to go, but please do that. We have about a week to get the recordings in because then we got to do the editing to create the, the video collage. So please don't delay. Uh, go get yourself recorded. You can record yourself individually. You can get your family together, sing it together as a group. I don't care how, but I think it'll be a lot of fun to do that. Again, for our services and all the things that got going on at Simi Church through the end of the year and even into the new year can be found on our calendar. Uh, at this time, we're going to close out with a final song, so let's go ahead and stand on up. God bless and have a merry Christmas and a better new year. Amen. We're going to close out with O Come All Ye Faithful, so if you have your song sheets, and the lyrics should be on for you at home. Oh, come, all ye faithful, joyful and triumphant. Oh, come ye, oh, come ye to Bethlehem. Come and behold him, born the King of angels. Oh, come, let us adore him. Oh, 
Have a great day.